0: What, what did that look like for you? How did it, how did things progress to the point in which you were sitting in the dean's office and, and needed to have a discussion about about going to rehab? Like, like that. that I seems, know that seems to be a fairly significant sort of, <laughs> you know, acceleration of this. What, what, what would happen after that breakup in terms of your, in terms of your, disordered relationship with food?
1: I started exercising a lot i started running like crazy i started eating so i would take a certain size plate and i would only eat half of what was on the plate um and i wouldn't allow myself anything further but also in times of stress just generally i'm not hungry (laughs) i don't so i think that's a response that my body just has um so the idea of eating when when you're feeling so anxious anyway, so that almost helped me. Um, and then to kind of numb in addition to that was the drinking, the drugs. Yeah, I, it was the whole gamut. And it just snowballed.
0: hello podcast listener if this is your first time here welcome to the eat half walk podcast coming to you from the ascend human performance coaching studios here in cloudy Stratford, new hampshire U.S.A. of a i'm your host chris dunn if you follow the show thank you and welcome back so this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as an exercise physiologist coach race director and athlete told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, co-workers, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Katie Doyle is my guest this week. Food is a ubiquitous and essential element of our human experience. It is almost always in our consciousness. Many of us have and maintain a healthy relationship with food. Unfortunately for some, food and food choices can serve as an unhealthy control mechanism in periods of turmoil. Eating disorders can co-occur with addictive behaviors, making things exponentially more serious. Exercise is by and large a healthy life enhancing choice, but for a few vulnerable individuals, a line can be crossed, resulting in addiction. When an eating disorder and an exercise addiction are coupled, spinning into the abyss is almost inevitable. The important message here though is that help is always available and nothing is insurmountable. This is Katie's story. Well, here she is, Katie Doyle. Katie, welcome to the show.
1: Hi. <laughs> Thank long you. For time, having long time, long
0: long time, long time.
1: Right? Always. <laughs>
0: Well, um, you and I communicate frequently, yes. periodically. Well, it's actually funny. Um, we rarely see each other anymore, but we but we 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 exchange text messages, right? And so, you know, it's always one of those things where, um, you know, I mean, we don't text each other all the time, but when when we do text each other, it's like it's like an hour long text exchange.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a little burst.
0: <laughs> it's well, it's long, long burst. Hey. Um, I know how much you enjoy things getting sprung on you.
1: Mm, I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sarcastically, of course, I'm saying that, right? So yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spring something, something on you. Um, it's a quiz, and I know how much you love, uh, you know, tests, tests and quizzes. So, so here you go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spring a quiz on. You. In fact, I'm gonna take this quiz myself. In fact, I'm gonna encourage the audience to participate along. So. Um, So, so for the listener, well, for the listener, who's like driving in their car, uh, listening to this, don't, you know, don't pay attention to what you're doing, but in your head, keep track of your answers. If you're, if you're listening somewhere where you can write your answers down, go ahead and do that. Okay. Uh, Katie, you can either write your answers down or remember them in your head either way. Okay. Um, We're going to take a quiz and I'm going to take the quiz as well. Okay. Are you ready? Always. (laughs)
1: Always. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. So you're gonna you're going to answer uh, the, the 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 following statements um, on a one to six scale with one representing strongly disagree and six representing strongly agree. Okay. So that's the range one to six strongly disagree is one strongly agree is six. Okay. Ready? Okay. Statement number one. And I'm going to, I'm going to participate along as well. Statement number one, exercise is the most important thing in my life. Now you don't have to, you don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to write down your answer. Okay. So, so statement number one, exercise is the most important thing in my life. Uh, one to six. And there we go. I've written down my answer. Ready, ready for number two.
1: Yeah. Okay. Number
0: two. All right. Um, Conflicts have arisen between me and my family and/or my (laughs) partner about the amount of exercise I do. Okay. Conflicts have arisen between me and my family and/or my partner about the amount of exercise I do. All right. Writing down the answer from uh, strongly disagree one to strongly agree six. Number three. Ready.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. Number three, I use exercise as a way of changing my mood. Uh, For instance, you know, to get a buzz or to escape. Okay. Okay. Number four.
2: Yeah. Ready for Always.
0: Number four, over time, I have increased the amount of exercise I do in a day. Over time, I have increased. The amount of exercise I do in a day. Strongly disagree. One strongly agree is six. Okay. Number five. If I have to miss an exercise session, I feel moody and irritable. If I have to, if I have to miss an exercise session, I feel moody and irritable. All right. Uh, and the last one, ready? Okay. If I cut down the amount of exercise I do and then start again, I always end up exercising as often as I did before. If I cut down the amount of exercise I do and then start again, I always end up exercising as often as I did before.
2: All right. Okay. All
0: right. So that's a that's a tough one okay all right give me all right let's see give me one minute to so go ahead and tally up your scores all right so listener um if you were if you were in your vehicle or or uh or otherwise not in a spot where you could write the numbers down go ahead and and tally up those scores if if uh you if you're able to 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 write the numbers down as write the answers down as we were going along go ahead and tally your score i'm going to tally my score Okay. All right. I've got a score. You've got a score, Katie.
1: Yeah, but I think I just messed it up, but it's high. So okay. like all that's, right. well, <laughs> that's all we we'll, need to know.
0: We'll we'll circle back. We'll circle back to that in just a moment. Um, Katie, uh, f- and we'll, we'll give the context of why we just, we just took that quiz. Cause it, you know, I, I don't do anything by accident, right? It was,
2: it was
1: Um exactly.
0: uh, Katie, for the listener who doesn't know uh, Katie Doyle, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: I am Katie Doyle. I am a mother of two, aunt, two little girls, which is going to be very important here, <laughs> and a wife. I am currently a stay-at-home mom, and that's my story.
0: Um, well, that's a uh, that's a great story, and that and, <laughs> and that quite frankly, that story is a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> But we're gonna go in a little bit different direction. However, I think that context is is really important, right? Um, uh, wife, mom, stay-at-home mom. Um that's important because um, because that that background is, is I think is gonna to help to frame the conversation that the important conversation that we're going to have. But before we do that, let's um let's 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 take a few moments and and um and walk down memory lane, shall we? Sure. <laughs> let's um. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about about how you and I you and I know each other. So, um, you, you were you were you were a student at the University of New England. When did you graduate from the University of New England?
1: Um, originally I was to graduate in two thousand eight, but I graduated in two thousand nine
0: good, 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 good. That's really, that's a good reminder. So 2000, 2008 originally, but but you ended up graduating in the class of 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you likely reached out to me um, regarding a student internship in 2007?
1: Yeah, I would say.
0: Junior, junior year. Yeah, my what, junior year. of Junior year, right? That preceded what would have been your senior year, Yes, Does that makes sense. Yes, okay. So, as a student at the University of New England, you you contacted me um, inquiring about a student internship. So uh, how did you learn about student internships at Southern Maine Medical Center? How did, how did you know that there were internship opportunities there?
1: Well, this internship in cardiopulmonary rehab was like highly sought after. Uh, Heath Pierce guided me in that direction because he was in the position to do that at that point point. Right. Right. Um, and I applied actually not expecting to get it <laughs>
0: <laughs> why 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 do you why do you say that that's interesting why, <laughs> what, why why did you think you weren't gonna
1: get it? well, because you know me from <laughs> that time of my life uh i was just kind of a mess i was a wild woman
0: well well uh, you know i i would have characterized katie Mazlin at that point as as not a mess but but fabulous
1: <laughs> I'm so far on the other end of that right now
0: <laughs> but i think uh, but i think i think yeah i think during that time i uh, a mess is not how i would have actually it, it's 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 the exact opposite of, of mess you were uh you were you were well at least outwardly you were really put together and i think i think that's probably an important thing to say that that yes. that from the outside um at, at least to me you you appeared very well put together meaning um you you know when you showed up um when you showed up initially for your internship interview um, you know, you you look like you had just walked off, uh, you know, I uh, I don't know, some some sort of fashion runway um, in, you know, in New York City. Like you were you were dressed to the nines. Now, what was what was funny about that is that uh, I mean, it's not unusual for people. I mean, you right you you don't dress for the job you have. You dress for the job that you want to have. Right. And so it's not unusual for people to get you know dressed up for an in, an interview and and so i didn't really think too much about it that you showed up like just perfectly perfectly dressed hair was perfect makeup was perfect um whatever you were wearing you know was again just fabulous i mean everything about everything about everything about you was was fabulous what i what i didn't realize though at that time but i would would come to know and come to realize that you you weren't just dressing that way for an interview. In fact, you showed up to the internship dressed very much the same way (laughs) a a week later. (laughs) No, we, we, you know, we worked in outpatient cardiac rehab. Yeah. And (laughs) we, you know, we... we,
1: (laughs) Heels weren't it.
0: (laughs) Heels, yeah, heels weren't, well, they're... There wasn't a dress code at at that time, um, but, but there, there would,
1: became one.
0: There would become a dress code, yes. Thanks, thanks to Katie Maislin and her and her fabulousness. <laughs> um, you, um, yeah, you would show up to your internship dressed very much the same way, uh, heels included, and yet completely unfazed. You would you would you would carry out your responsibilities with leading exercise, including, you know stretching, standing, stretching exercises in your your heels and your get up um, and And the uh,
1: treadmill demonstrations. You would walk
0: on the treadmill, click,
1: click, 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 (laughs) click.
0: At one point, at one point, um, one of uh, one of our nurses, uh, our most senior nurse at that time, uh, Deborah Brown would come up to me. And now I told you I wasn't gonna tell the story but I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go ahead and go ahead and tell the story go for I'll, it. I'll tell it a little bit differently than I, I okay. said that I would tell it in the pre-show so Deborah Brown nurse Brown um, and she I mean Deborah Deborah had been in nursing for 30 years or yeah. something at that for yeah. forever right she was again she was our most senior nurse and um, a mom
1: herself yes. right yes. three boys yes
0: right um yes. she would she would she would pull me aside i don't know a week or so after you had started your internship she would pull me aside and she said um are you going to talk to katie about the way she's dressing and i and of course i i i was obviously aware of the way you were dressing but it, but to me i was more caught up in in. And in how you were doing it rather than what you were wearing when you were doing it. And so I sort of looked at her and and sort of, you know, uh, you know, with this sort of bewilderment and, and, and said, what, I, what, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? And she said, you know, the 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 whole thing. And as she said, the whole thing, she kind of was intimating that the way you were dressed was a little bit. Well, a little bit too much, too revealing, let's just say. It's distracting.
1: For, it was distracting. a little bit
0: too distracting. That's a better way to put it. It was a little bit too distracting for, for the workplace, meaning, you know, elderly men with heart disease. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know, again, what she was intimating that I mean,
1: I, fair, fair.
0: Fair or not, but what she was intimating was, you know, was, was, was going to put me in a position as your supervisor to talk about uh, your appearance, (laughs) let's just say. And, you know, I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was, was somehow, you know, acknowledge that like I was paying attention to that because I'm a professional and, you know, I, 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 I know how to maintain a professional relationship. So I said to her, I said, um, I hear you, but I can't say anything to her about that because that's really awkward for me, okay? Because then it would imply that I'm like paying attention to the way that she's dressing and anyway, so Deborah said, well, Deborah and I came up with a compromise and the compromise was twofold. One, we needed to have actually a dress code because we didn't have a dress yeah. code in cardiac rehab because why would we need a dress code in cardiac rehab? <laughs> until Katie, Maislin, <laughs> until Katie Mazlin showed up. So number one, that we, so we had to come up with the dress code, which we did, which include things like, you know, no mid midriffs and no, I wasn't
2: doing that. <laughs> wasn't
1: doing
0: doing that.
2: that.
1: Just, just okay. Saying. All right.
0: Your belly wasn't showing fair. No, no low cut, um, yes,
1: no low cut tops,
0: no low cut tops,
1: a sensible shoe, <laughs>
0: a sensible shoe. <laughs> and, and then the other, and then the second compromise was that Deborah would, approach you and say something to you and um what you know what was interesting about all of that is the way that you handled it because um now I don't know how you handled it privately but outwardly how, outwardly how you handled it was like the next day after she said something to you you showed up com- dressed completely appropriate like and 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 furthermore what ended up really being funny I think at the end is that at the end of our our time together um, before you and I both uh, uh, left, was that, was that at the end, uh, and we'll talk about how we got there, that uh, y- you would end up wearing scrubs to work.
1: Yeah, so easy, <laughs> so easy. Um, <laughs> um,
0: what, what do you remember about, about that whole initial deal?
1: I remember going home And being like, what the hell am I (laughs) going to wear? I like tried on every shirt I had, like (laughs) like, the whole thing. And I finally, I think, found like one thing. And that weekend I had to go out and go shopping to get things that were like, I'm not talking like turtlenecks, but (laughs) they were higher, higher up. Oh. And I think I just kind of like this. This is the message I'm being told. This is what I need to listen to, and I went with it. So I don't know that it really uh, affected me that much. I just knew that I needed to follow this.
0: <laughs> well, and you know, it, because it was such a sought after internship, the last thing you wanted to yeah. do was lose the internship because oh you God. wouldn't right because you wouldn't comply with the. Uh, with the dress code that had just been written uh, specifically for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I um, remember this big thick white binder that the dress code was put into. Do you remember?
0: <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, oh goodness. So um, so your your internship experience um, would be a positive not a positive enough one for us. and um, I assume it was positive for you, although I'll, I'll let you answer that um so much so that we actually uh, we extended you an offer an employment offer uh shortly after you finished yes. um and again we'll we're going to circle back to uh why you ended up graduating in the class of 2009 even mm-hmm. though your original graduating class was 2008 we'll talk about that in a little bit but um We would extend you uh, an employment opportunity to come uh, to come work with us um, as a again, very much like we we created a dress code uh, (laughs) around you. We also created a position around you as well. Um, The clinical exercise technician, that position did not exist uh, prior Mm -hmm. uh, to to us hiring you. So we created a position. we didn't necessarily create a position um, because we hired you. We 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 created the position because we 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 knew that you would be a good fit and an excellent addition. Um, and in uh, in a in a very short period of time, through your internship experience, you you proved yourself, you know, Thank worthy you. worthy of of being able to do the job. And uh, perhaps more important, um, or more importantly. Uh, you would endear yourself uh, uh to your colleagues to myself and and to deborah specifically and uh it was uh, it was a very easy decision to uh to bring you on uh to the team Thank um you. What, yeah what what do you remember about about that internship experience outside of of uh of the dress code thing
1: <laughs> um, i It was just a really positive experience for me. I definitely learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself because kind of towards the end of that, which I think you're probably going to circle back to. um, I did have to leave for a brief time before we went the employment route. But yeah, it was a great learning experience. Um, I couldn't have asked for... A better group of people to be around and to learn from. It was okay to make mistakes, including <laughs> dressing.
0: Yeah. Well, which, <laughs> well, but, but, you know, um, in your defense, you didn't, you didn't really, you didn't know you were making a mistake. Um, it, I mean, it, it was called to your attention and you corrected it. <laughs> I, I mean, I think you know it would have been different had you sort of willfully continued to dress that way yeah that's... Uh, you know until you needed to be reprimanded but that's not that isn't that
1: but isn't... i mean aside, aside from the dress code just it was okay to make mistakes and we learn from them and you mm-hmm. move on and i think that's really stuck with me probably for the rest of mm. my adult life so far
0: mm. um at that time, well, you. So your your undergraduate degree um, was. Uh, I mean, what 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 actually was your technical undergraduate degree? I mean, I I say that because the field I that know. we work in, exercise science, has like you know it has like a hundred different undergraduate degrees. So you know it's uh, every undergraduate degree is a little different. Specifically, your under, undergraduate degree was in.
1: So it went from. <laughs> so UNE changed their major program. So it was exercise and health promotion. And then it was changed to exercise physiology, which is, I think currently what it is now. Um, so I, I have that. And then I also have a degree in psych and social relations, which is a good segue, I think.
0: <laughs> it gets a very interesting segue. Right. Yeah. So, um, At that time, Katie, as an undergrad at the University of New England, um, did you have an intention at that time to make exercise a career?
1: Um, Going into college, I literally had no idea what I wanted to do. So I, no, I didn't. (laughs) I picked something that I was very interested in and...
0: Being exercise, you mean?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And nutrition. Um, and yeah. I didn't vary. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, well, I, I, I perhaps being perhaps the statement of being very interested in exercise and nutrition is somewhat of an understatement. Yes. Um, because perhaps you were a little bit more than just very interested in exercise and nutrition, um, uh, I think, which we'll, we'll get an opportunity to talk about in in just a moment, I'm, I'm teasing those things because that's going to be the, it's going to be the crux of, of our discussion. Um, so, but just to put a bow on, on, on our relationship, um, so that was, we would hire you in 2009 or 2010. Yes. After after graduation. Um, and I, do you remember if it was 2009? It was,
1: it was 2010.
0: 2010. All right. Yeah. Um, so, Uh, So we would hire you um, full-time?
1: I actually started per diem, and I had to grind to get full-time. So what happened was I was working full-time, but I was really per diem. So that full-time position was then created when we moved to our new space.
0: Okay, thank you. Thank you for... uh for refreshing my memory. Right. So, so I always had per diem help, uh, meaning yes. when I, when I was out, um, I had to cover my, my shift. I had to cover my role with a per diem. Someone had to come in and serve in my role when I, when I wasn't there.
1: Right.
0: And, and, um, you know, I, I had maintained a, a fairly short list of, per diems. And of course, the nature of per diems is that, you know, you're, you're just working as needed. We, you know, we, we can't expect you to just always hold time aside anytime we need it. So per diems oftentimes have other jobs. Um, and um, so it doesn't, that's why I needed a, I needed a, a list of people to pull from, right? Because if right. I contact per diem one and they're like, no, I can't cover that mm-hmm. shift. I'm working. I got to go to the second one on the list and so forth and so on. Um, you ended up being, um, you ended up being a, a reliable per diem because you were able to cover, um, you were able to cover most of the ships that I needed to have covered. Were you covering for somebody else as well? Um, what, how, how was your per diem almost full time? I don't remember that.
1: Um, I think that we just needed the help at the time. Oh, okay. Our, um, the number of patients that we were accepting, we added channels to the telemetry and we were being pushed uh, to right. have these patients, but you obviously, in order to make it safe, need more people. So oftentimes what was happening is you were there and I was there. <laughs> right. Okay.
0: Got it. And that was, that was still in the old gym.
1: That was in the old gym. Yeah. In the
0: original gym. Right. We we got an upgrade to the telemetry system uh, in the old gym. Right before we moved to the new gym, that it, yeah, to your point, added additional channels, which meant we went from I don't know five patients or six patients to yeah, like eight 12. patients, twelve patients, and it was a very small room. I mean, imagine a a glorified closet. Uh, that was the <laughs> that was our gym, right? Yeah, we had, it really was. We had two treadmills that that were that were head to head. We had two air dine air bikes. Hikes three recumbent bikes and yeah, an no I
1: think it was just two. Was it two?
0: I think it, it was two or three. Um maybe it was just two. Two uh it two recumbent sm- bikes like- and uh and an arm ergometer and a little a little rack with dumbbells and a desk with a computer. Like everything was just crammed into this one small room. And
1: they were doing construction in the hall and we would walk patient for laps in the hallway as a modality.
0: Yes. And we all shared just across front, just across the gym. And we were, so we were in the cardiopulmonary hallway, right? Where there was yeah. uh, outpatient um, uh, uh, EKG. There was uh, eventually EEG was in that hallway. Um,
2: that's
0: right. Um, stress the, the, testing.
1: The, like the- that's
0: right. Stress testing. And <laughs> the physicians had a, a reading room. Anyway, we we were in a we we're in a fairly short hallway with other services. In fact, uh, all of us shared an office right across the hallway from the gym. Like literally, three or four of us would shared an office. Was what a which nightmare, really, which wasn't really that much bigger than the gym. Anyway, um, we would eventually we would eventually through the donation of uh, uh, a very generous donation of Mrs. Osher uh, would be able to uh, to build a dedicated. Uh, uh, cardiopulmonary rehab facility at the end. Well, just at, at the, at the end of the building um, it was an add on to the building. Um, and it was a, a beautiful state of the art facility at the time you and I were able to, uh, to pick out the equipment. Um, in fact, we participated in in uh, helping the design of the layout Remember, like where yeah. the bathrooms would be. And, and it was really, it's kind of a cool process when, so so when we went from that little small gym to the larger gym, that's when that's when that full time position yeah. be, was created—the clinical exercise tech. Yes, right. Because not only did we uh, did we increase the amount of, of of telemetry units and the amount of patients that we would monitor on telemetry at the same time, um, we also uh, we also added. Uh, pulmonary rehab, oh, pulmonary rehab had been, had been going on, but pulmonary rehab and cardiac rehab, um, uh, th- those schedules would both be enhanced. Yes. We would, we would, we would enhance the number of, of pulmonary rehab sessions. We would enhance the number of cardiac rehab sessions. We added a maintenance program. Yes. Uh, right. Uh, a phase four program. These folks yeah. would come and use the gym almost like an independent gym. And so essentially then, you know, we we increased our operating hours from, you know, 8 a.m. through 4 p.m. Like something was going on in the gym with the exception of maybe an hour over the lunchtime period. There was something going on in the the gym uh, seven days a week, five days a week, excuse me. And um, that additional programming needed additional exercise help. And that's when we hired you full time. Yes. Well, you and I would share an office. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) at, at, At that time, I was... I was the senior exercise physiologist aside from nurse Brown. I had, I was second in line in seniority. And, um, you know, when we, when we originally laid out the footwork of the new facility, specifically related to offices, <clears throat> I had a corner office with two windows Beautiful. <clears throat> and I was excited. I was excited to have an office all to myself. Finally. And
1: Then I after, showed up
0: after, <laughs> right after, After after a decade of sharing an office space, and uh, when we moved into the new gym, I was told that I was going to be sharing an office with Miss Maislin, (laughs) which was ended up being totally fine, and it 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 actually was great because um, on many occasions, you and I would have the opportunity to close the door and complain about everybody else. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also <laughs> just shut out the rest of everybody else who was complaining about us.
2: Yes. So, um,
0: so you and I, uh, shared an office. We literally sat back to back, um, for the next, uh, six years. I actually so.
1: was, was telling a friend of mine recently that we just had, like, it was just mm-hmm. a, a rule, unspoken rule that we wouldn't talk in the morning for like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it was like, I, I loved it. It was the best thing ever.
0: Well, you know, you know that it's a, you know that it's a strong relationship when you can spend an hour with someone in a small office and not talk and not feel uncomfortable about it.
1: It was the best. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> We, um we, we, we certainly, we certainly had a lot in common and we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, we didn't share everything in common our, no. our our although our senses of humor were very similar and what would crack me up would crack you up and <laughs> yes. um, our our musical tastes I think differed we were from you know slightly different generations um, but we found some common ground even with yeah. music
2: yeah um, little
0: uh, and uh, and again you know sitting <clears throat> sitting behind you sitting in the same office space with you. Uh, over those years, we, we got to know each other pretty well, became very good friends. I think over that time we, you know, I was thinking about this, probably 99% of the time we got along just swimmingly. Um, you know, but, uh, I mean, there, there were a handful of occasions for a very short period of time that, you know, you became a little bit more than irritated at me. And I can't remember exactly what for, but I do remember there were a handful of times and I guess like any relationship, <laughs> right? There are, there are, there's, it's mostly great, but it, it's, you know, yeah. interspersed with some short periods of being completely frustrated with the other person.
1: It's but, what makes it better in the end though. But right? it,
0: but it never lasted very long. And, and, no. and we always, we, we would always, in those very rare instances, we would always work out our differences um, you know, even if you didn't speak to me for a couple of days, <laughs> and were really stressed,
1: I gave you the silent treatment. That's brutal. You
0: you, uh, you did. But again, it was, you know, in, in the course of six or seven years, Katie, it probably only happened very much, very you know, less than a handful of times.
1: I do um, remember one particular time I was giving you the silent treatment now that you say that. Um, and it was right before you went on vacation. <laughs> so I came in that Monday morning and at the bottom of the whiteboard, you had written me. What would Chris Dunn do? <laughs> and I, I was like, "All right, it's over. We're fine now. We're like, we can move on."
0: Except I just used the abbreviation. W- oh yes, w- yes. WWC do. What would Chris do?
1: Yes. Um,
0: thinking that was just going to be a gentle reminder to just you know don't screw up when I'm gone. Um, oh,
1: it yeah. also ended our whatever <laughs> argument we were having. So. Um.
0: Well. Well. It. It would be. Uh. It, it it would be it would be a it would be just an amazing period of time in 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 my life uh a lot of laughs um uh some tears yes al- along the way um but uh but in the end all good and and uh, you and i would would remain friends um uh, even after both of us uh, went our separate ways yes. um w- what do you remember about about those uh, about those six or seven years that we we worked together?
1: Uh, pretty much the same thing that you remember. I do remember that you had so much grace with me in so many situations because I'm going to be honest, I had some crazy crazy moments there, <laughs> and especially when I was pregnant with Olivia. Oh my god, <laughs> I just remember. I don't know why we had a pile of coats on the floor in our office for I, whatever reason.
0: I, I do. But
2: yes, go ahead. Okay.
1: But I just remember laying in the pile of coats because I was so sick every morning. And you just would say nothing about it. And just let me lay on the floor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or um, I even, I think I got sick in the bushes outside the office one morning. And I came in and you're just like, oh, that was rough, wasn't it? And then we didn't talk about it.
0: Um, well, I I I do know why we had the coats because I was collecting coats for my one warm coat program, my, oh, my warm right. my warm coat drive. Collecting coats for for the for the homeless. Um,
1: it and, also benefited me in that moment, though. So.
0: I also had the the experience of having been, you know. A, my kids were older at that point. And so I I had sort of been through that period in my life of, uh, of living with a pregnant woman. So in this case, I wasn't living with you, but, but, you know, I mean, it was, we were still spending, you know, seven, eight hours a day together. So it was sort of like I was living with you. Um, So I, you know, I, I had some experience (laughs) there. um, And, and uh, that, that, that degree of compassion was, was not, was not difficult to afford. Um,
1: But I would say across the board, you had a lot of, uh, grace and you were very compassionate. We had a lot of giggles. I love a giggle.
0: (laughs) We, we did laugh a lot. Um, um, mostly at ourselves, but, um, uh, oftentimes at the expense of other people, not in a mean way, just because (laughs) people are funny sometimes. Um, and, um, people are also mean and, and, um, there was, there was also some, some measure of that, um, as well. Um, mm. and, um, so 2008 and 2000, 2009, um, let's talk a little bit, Katie, about, um, a, a, about why it was that you, that you didn't graduate, um, with your originally intended class of 2008, that you had to, um, actually pause your internship yeah. for, for a short period of time. Um, yeah. Can you, can you tell that story?
1: Um, Oh geez, where to begin? I think I'm just going to get into it.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. I,
1: um, was, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't want to say I was kicked out of college <laughs> cause I wasn't, it was just kind of put on a pause because I had to go to rehab for an eating disorder. Um, And I went on to have two rehab stays for the eating disorder. And even then, I would say that that didn't kind of solve that. It was later on when I was really ready. Um, Yeah, I was told by the school that I was a liability for them. And I had to go. So I didn't have a choice, and I went. It was an outpatient program, and <laughs> I definitely pushed back a lot for that. But it paused my college career, so that included my internship and kind of everything. Just came crumbling down for me.
2: Yeah.
0: So help help us help us understand as much as you understand it yourself. Um, the university stance what what do you suppose that meant that you were a liability? What, what was happening at that time that would have led them to believe that you were a liability? What, and again, you, I mean, I'm I'm asking you to put yourself in, the, in their position for a moment. What does that mean?
1: Honestly, I, I don't know that a liability is <laughs> really the way I would have put it. <laughs> um, I I mean, I, I was missing a lot of my classes kind of towards the end there. Um, I just kind of hold up. Like I was drinking a lot. I was anything that I could use to kind of numb. I was doing that. Well, okay. Maybe that is a liability.
0: (laughs) Well, and yeah. So, I mean, There, there is, of course, um, a connection between um, eating disorders and substance abuse as well. I mean, in, in, including you know the mm. the, 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 the misuse uh, or disordered use of, of alcohol. Did you <clears throat> initially? Did, who approached you? Was it the department chair? Uh, was it was it a professor? Like, how, how did this how did this all initially come to be? It
1: actually, <clears throat> I think, was he. So the program,
0: was- the program coordinator, or the program advisor, the Heath Pierce,
1: the program the coordinator. Advisor.
0: Heath uh, was also <clears throat> was also a professor uh, or an instructor, right? And you likely had you almost had a-
1: all my classes with him, and okay. I was missing all of okay. them.
0: <laughs> you were you were missing class. So did he at some point? Did he did he ask you to come see him in his office? Yes. Did he pull you aside? Like how?
1: And how it wasn't that- like we weren't in. I even remember we weren't actually. So there was his office and then there was like this little hallway area with a copying machine and a vending machine. (laughs) We were sitting at a little table and he just sat down and he said, what's going on? And I like, of course I was like, I don't know. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, And eventually he sent me to, I don't know if it's social work or the psychologist at school. Haina Patterson was his name. He was very young. And it it was just like a snowball. Like it went from Haina, Heath, Haina, and then to the dean of the school. And they called me in and he said, you know, I'm I'm going to be generous here because I have two daughters and we're just going to pause things for you. You can come back. But you need to go take care of this.
0: Where, um, where along the way, <clears throat> as you were interacting with these different people, where or when along that that way did you did you finally open up that it, that it was in fact that you were dealing with this eating disorder? Um, <clears throat> because I, I suspect when when Heath asked you to come talk mm-hmm. to him, he likely all he knew was that you were missing classes. He didn't really have he didn't have any idea what was actually going on. So where, where along this process, Katie, did you, did you finally open up and who did you open up to about, about specifically what you were dealing with?
1: I think that yeah. it might've been Hena because of the questions that he was asking me. Um, because, because of Heat's position also, he was in the fitness center a lot. And so was I. So, That was the other part of this. Uh, So he knew I wasn't just missing classes (laughs) to miss classes. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was with Hina. And he said, you know, I got to say something. We like, you're not making your classes. So obviously that means you're going to fail out. And I panicked and I was like, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you need me to do. And then, you know, you meet with the dean and, I was scared shitless. <laughs> I did whatever they wanted me to do. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, at that at that point, well, let's back up a little bit. Mm. Um, with 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 some time and 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 some ability to sort of, you know, and I'm I'm sure you had a lot of time to reflect upon this. Um, when 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 did this disordered eating begin? Um, for you, did it begin in college did it did it did it predate college is you know, when yeah. j- help us to understand when 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 this when this disordered eating started to become a thing
1: um I definitely had a huge issue with it in high school um and you kind of go through waves of things, or at least I did so uh geez, was it like junior, senior year in high school? I played field hockey and actually my field hockey coach said something to my mom about it. Cause I, we were running the mile and then we were doing drills after and I almost passed out. And she said something to my mom about it. And they got in like this yelling match on the sidewalk. <laughs> and I was I I was, my mom, in denial, just denied, 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 and, of course, it kept going on. So, I kind of cleaned myself up a little bit, maybe, like, freshman year in college, and then it just all went downhill from there.
0: Um, how did it, how did it start? initially in in high school, I mean, what, what, what was happening? What? How did your relationship with food begin to go from something that is benign and and natural to something that is, that is disordered and unnatural and and unhealthy? How how did it? How did it initially start?
1: So usually eating disorders are a way to control whatever is going on. It's a coping mechanism. Of course, it's a very unhealthy one. And it is usually due to things in your life that are out of control, um, unmanaged childhood trauma. Um, Yeah. But I think what really did it for me thinking back is I also did alpine racing. So I did downhill skiing and you're always in what's called a GS suit. And it's like this skin tight suit. And I was coming out of the awkward phase of like middle school. And you know, like sometimes you you're a little your body's just different. So you start developing and stuff, and you're in this skin tight suit. And I was like, man, I gotta look good in this thing. So <laughs> that I think was part of it. And um, my brother was also, who is older than me, uh, I think was also dealing with some of his own stuff. And it was just like bleeding on me. And yeah, that's how how I dealt with it, how I managed.
0: And specifically, how did your relationship with food change?
1: I think I just, what I started doing at the time was, I started drinking milk, like a lot of milk and eating less food. And, which is funny because I'm now lactose intolerant. (laughs) So, I mean, it's not funny, but (laughs) it's interesting that, yeah. So I would start running and it it wasn't necessarily just the food; it was also the exercise portion of it.
0: Yeah, um, which which I want to I want to get into a little bit more um, um, because these you know these co-occurring disorders are are a real phenomenon. Um, but I but I think I think prefacing your relationship with exercise, prefacing it with your with your disordered relationship with eating, I think is I think I think makes sense sequentially. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- as you think about, well, let me ask you: as you think about your relationship with those two things, your relationship with exercise and your relationship with food, um, uh, did did one of those relationships begin to change in a negative way before the other, or do you yes. feel like they both started changing at the same time? What help me understand that that natural sequence?
1: So. Um, Of course, you have to train for preseason. So that's for sports and things like that. So, of course, that ramped up. But I would say that food started sooner. You know what? The food stuff could have started even sooner than that. It might have been before high school, like eighth grade, freshman year. Now that you I'm know, thinking about it. Cause I'm thinking yeah. about the milk thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't, don't you feel like these things happen on a continuum anyway? Like it's not yeah. like all or none. It's not like a light. No. It's not like a switch gets turned on and you no. either, you either don't have an eating disorder or you do have an eating disorder. Right. Right. Um, right. Uh, now, not of course, not everybody that, that, starts to have a, a, a disordered or an inappropriate relationship with food, not everybody will progress to a, a, a clinical eating disorder. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but, but in fact, that is what happened with you. So, yeah. so how did things uh, from a disordered eating uh, pattern, how did things progress for you? You said that when you got to college, things sort of settled out a little bit, which is sort of interesting to me because I know I mean, you talk about times of upheaval and I would I would suspect that during times of upheaval, like, you know, going from being in high school in which, you know, everybody and you're you know, you're you're the you're the you know, you're a big deal on campus to all of a sudden being a, 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 a college freshman like that's a that's a very awkward, very um, uh, vulnerable period of time. A lot it of almost felt like, a start, it yeah. felt like a fresh start,
1: though. It felt like a fresh start. and No one knew me. They didn't know anything. <clears throat>
0: Interesting. So, so I could mask. All right. So for so for you that that also represented an opportunity to have a to to sort of restart your relationship with food. Yeah. Yeah. Except again.
1: Except <laughs> I wasn't.
0: Well, and and you know, and of course, everyone's well, most people's experience as a freshman in college, from a food standpoint, it's uh, you know, it's it's a whole new world, right? You go from yeah, oftentimes living at home and you know eating the food that's available to you at home. Yeah. To living on your own, you know, in, in, in a campus environment with a campus cafeteria and the whole freshman fifteen, right? Where we have access to all this food that yeah. maybe we didn't have access to before. Some people obviously deal with it better than others, right? Um, yeah. Um, so you you manage things you manage things okay early on uh, at the University of New England, but things started to change. Upon reflection, why do you think things started to change with respect to your relationship with food?
1: I think it had to do with self-worth for sure. I think I had gotten out of a, a really messy relationship and I, gosh, was that like sophomore, sophomore year? And it started to slowly unravel from there. I had my doctor write me a note saying that I couldn't eat. Uh, like I didn't have to have a meal plan. That's how I got out of the meal plan. Cause you actually had, you had to have one um, at UNE at the time. Um, and yeah, that's where it started to unravel. I don't remember what they wrote on the note (laughs) just to get me out of having a meal plan, but.
0: Yeah. So in in this, in this situation in which you're coming off, a um, a difficult breakup to a relationship and there were likely there were feelings of loss of control,
2: your ability
0: to, your ability to find comfort in the control of food Um, do you you think there was a connection between, between that relationship and, and, and this search for gaining control again?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the loss of control, you can always control what you put in your mouth. So the loss of control and, feeling like I was less because I didn't have this person to validate me anymore. Um, And yeah, I just, I didn't feel like I was worth anything. So I just tried to literally control all the things around me that I possibly could. And that started to lead to, as I said, the unraveling, which was, Food. It was exercise. It was drinking. It was smoking weed, cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes. <laughs> Did you know that? I think he
0: told me that at one oh, point. Oh
1: boy! No, yeah, <laughs> not again.
0: <laughs> um. So, you know, if 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 initially this this disordered relationship or or unhealthy relationship or or. Um, uh, Disordered relationship with food started maybe fairly innocuous with drinking milk
2: yeah. to the exclusion
0: of eating solid food. Um, it it would progress though to something more serious um, after that breakup. Can you talk a little bit about about what that that eating disorder what what it what it came to be for you at that time? You want my
1: clinical diagnosis? Is that what I, Uh No. Well, uh, I, I mean, I can. Uh,
0: uh, yeah, that and and what what did that look like for you? How did it? How did things progress to the point in which you were sitting in the dean's office and and needed to have a discussion about about going to rehab? Like, like <laughs> that, that. I seems, know that seems to be a fairly significant sort of <laughs> you know acceleration of this. What 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 would happen after that breakup in terms of your in terms of your Disordered relationship with food.
1: I started exercising a lot. I started running like crazy. I started eating. So I would take a certain size plate and I would only eat half of what was on the plate. Um, And I wouldn't allow myself anything further. But also in times of stress, just generally, I'm not hungry. (laughs) I don't. So... I think that's a response that my body just has. Um, so the idea of eating when when you're feeling so anxious anyway, so that almost helped me. Um, and then to kind of numb, in addition to that, was the drinking, the drugs. Yeah, I it was the whole gamut, and it just snowballed.
0: When you would, um, when you would eventually, um, seek this outpatient treatment, um, what, 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 did the clinician at that time diagnose you with? What, I mean, what, how, how did they, how did they justify to you that you needed to, to be there? Cause I, I suspect there probably was still for you, some measure of denial. You know, you were, yes. you were going, as you said, you you were going to do whatever you needed to do to stay enrolled in school. And if that meant going to outpatient treatment, you would do it. But I also suspect it probably was still some measure of, you know, not really buying into everything. Well, so That's why I the- had to
1: go back. I was a huge yeah. asshole when yeah, I was everything there. That
0: people <laughs> in the white coats were telling you. So what, what did the people in the white coats tell you when, uh, you know, that, that you were actually dealing with?
1: They told me that I was anorexic with, tendencies and that I had an exercise addiction
0: okay um, and um, what what did that outpatient treatment uh, look like how, how often would you go and and uh, how, how long would you stay and, and and if you're willing to share what were what were some of the things that that you were working on Um was it just talking with a therapist? Were there, I mean, what, 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 did, what did that look like?
1: So I went to Mercy Hospital's um, outpatient <clears throat> program that's in Portland, Maine, and um, I would go five days a week. It was from early in the morning. I'm trying to think. Was it like 7 a.m. to 6 maybe? It was all day long. Because you had to eat all your meals there. You, we did a lot of sitting around. You weren't allowed to move much. You weren't even allowed to use the stairs, which (laughs) I did, of course, did not like. uh, Because they didn't want you to burn any calories. You were not allowed to go to the bathroom by yourself. Uh, They would take you to the bathroom in groups and they would go in the bathroom with you. Uh, they did a lot of blood work. It was a lot of group therapy. um, And they would also do... uh, It it was like a weekly check-in and it would be the entire staff and you'd be in this tiny room. It was so intimidating. And they would basically tell you all the things you were doing wrong, which looking back at it now is... I'm thinking that's not really the best approach because, of course, uh, that would send me in the absolute opposite direction. And when I said a few minutes ago that I was an asshole when I was there, I absolutely was. I fought them tooth and nail. Um, They separated me from certain people because they felt like I was not good for them. Um, I, I don't even know the person that I was being. I just was kind of there to appease people. But once I was inside those doors, I was like,
0: Mm-mm. When did you finally surrender?
1: It wasn't there. <laughs> um, I would say, honestly, it, I know you don't like that when I say honestly, <laughs> um, <laughs> because it's always honest. <laughs> probably before i got married i would say that it really took me that long because
0: yeah help the listener understand what 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 that what yes. that time period was like so again we're talking this is 2000 oh, 2009 right <laughs> that you're that you initially go to outpatient uh treatment yes um and then you said it it took you until you got just before you got 2008,
1: married, 2008. I went to 2008. Right?
0: 2008. And when you when you initially went to therapy, but that it took you just prior to getting married to finally surrender. Whoa. Yeah. When, when when I was got that?
1: married in
0: 2013,
1: mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted a family, and I didn't want to show up for my kids this way. I didn't want to show them that this was healthy. I didn't want them to struggle with the struggles that I have. And I think that was really it for me and it was just kind of like all of a sudden things clicked.
0: And you were able to work you were able to get to that point independently or were you still were you still in treatment in some in some form uh up until 2013?
1: I was not in treatment for um the eating disorder, uh, in 2013, I was just in regular therapy. Actually, I think I had graduated from, graduated from therapy at that point. Um, and it was what we dealt with there was really, um, the underlying causes of what made me feel like I needed to be in such control and, I think that's what really did it. And we did talk a lot about how if I was a mother of girls or just kids in general, what that would look like for them. Because <clears throat> you want to be able to show up for your kids. And you can't do that if you're, like, you're not on top of it, struggling with your own stuff in that way, setting that example. Yeah.
0: You said you had graduated from therapy, but because you were such an asshole, did you actually just get kicked out of outpatient therapy?
1: So that's that was different therapy, but uh, I did get kicked out of Mercy eating yeah, disorder funny. rehab. Yeah. I did get kicked out uh, and I had to go back and they were not super kind to me <laughs> on my second round, um, but I did whatever they wanted me to do. And I just played the part and I got the hell out of there.
0: So, so you did what you needed to do to meet yeah. the discharge criteria. Yeah. But in fact, you, but in fact, you really hadn't worked through that, that no. issue. Um, you, but you, you, at that point were savvy enough to yes. do and to say what you needed to do and say to convince the people that needed to sign off on you that, that, in fact, you had gotten your S together and you were ready to return to the University of New England and finish your degree. Fair?
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly um, the
0: one. But, but eventually you would, you would get connected with an outpatient therapist uh, on, on an ongoing basis to just yeah. just talk about general things that you needed and wanted to, to, to talk about and work through.
1: Yeah. I think I had to be ready to go to therapy. I was not ready until.
0: Yeah, and it, it, but it was your own choice to eventually go to outpatient. uh, To go. And that's important.
1: That's the important part of that because it's about that control thing.
0: Yeah. So you right. Whereas whereas initially with the with the eating disorder clinic at Mercy, it wasn't like you were sent there, but you kind of were sent there. Right. I mean, there there were consequences if you didn't.
1: Yeah, but, big but, ones. Yeah,
0: but but with respect to your engagement in ongoing therapy outside of outside of that clinic, that was your own choice. You you right? Yes. I mean, you fair yes. to say you you made that choice, um, and it, and it would turn out to be a, a really good choice in hindsight because you were able to, you know, you were able to work through yeah. s- those issues and and uh, as you were preparing to start a, a new chapter of your life marriage and, and eventually having kids. Um, well, you know, you, along the way here, you mentioned, you mentioned exercise addiction and, uh, that's what I want to focus on, uh, last. I want to talk about, I want to talk about that, of course, as an exercise physiologist, um, you know, that's, that, that, that ends up being in my wheelhouse. You and I, uh, you know, we had conversations about this during the time that that we, that we worked together. Um, so let's, let's talk, let's talk about exercise addiction and, um, um, and how exercise addiction oftentimes co-occurs in context of, of eating disorders. And, um, and, and, and of course, you know, some of the challenges, a lot of the challenges of, of identifying an exercise addiction, you know, and, and, and what's the difference if there are any differences between an exercise addiction and a highly competitive, highly trained endurance athlete? Like, in other words, where, where does the line exist between what's a healthy relationship with exercise and what is an unhealthy relationship with exercise? Okay. So let's, let's talk about that a, a little bit, but actually before we do that, let's, Let's pay off the initial quiz that I, that I, that that we all took at the beginning, at the beginning of this, of the show. And I'll remind the listener that there were six statements that I, uh, that I, uh, that I gave Katie and asked Katie and I did this as well. Uh, I asked Katie to rate each of the statements uh, from a, on a scale of one to six, one being strongly disagree with the statement to six being strongly agree with the statement. And again, those six were, Uh, Exercise is the most important thing in my life. Conflicts have arisen between me and my family and or my partner about the amount of exercise I do. I use exercise as a way of changing my mood. In other words, to get a buzz or to escape. Over time, I have increased the amount of exercise I do in a day. If I have to miss an exercise session, I feel moody and irritable. And then if I cut down on the amount of exercise I do and then start again, I always end up exercising as often as I did before. Okay. So you and I, you and I both took uh took this. This is actually what's called the exercise addiction inventory or E A. What's your score, Chris? Um, So I scored a I scored a 16.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Okay. Um just out of curiosity, what 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 did you score, uh, Miss Doyle?
1: A 29.
0: A 29. Okay, interesting. And uh so so to, to give the listeners some perspective, although you know that what I'm going to what I'm going to state here now is not necessarily uh, shouldn't be interpreted as uh, any kind of uh, clinical diagnosis. Uh, right. This is this is purely for for information purposes, and of course uh, based on how you scored on this test. Again, uh, it should not imply any diagnosis, but it might be uh, enough to, uh, to to spur. And, and initiate a conversation with your healthcare provider if, in fact, um, you scored a 34 or higher. So there's there's a possible of, of 48 points to score on this, right? Because it's um, uh, what? Excuse me, 36 uh, 36 uh, 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 questions to score, and um, the, the, the cutoff is not 34. Uh, the cutoff is 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 closer to 28 or 29. Hello. Okay. Now, <laughs> I, I say cutoff because it, you know there's again there's a there's some gray area in here. Yeah. Again, it, these 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 exercise addictions are not an all or none. Mm. Um, but but I would say you know uh, out of a out of a total of a possible thirty six that you could score on this, you know if you score twenty eight or twenty nine or higher, um, it 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 might be enough to have you pause for a moment and really sort of take a little closer look at what's going on. We're going to go through the phases of exercise addiction here in just a moment. Uh, because again, it, this is not, not an all or none. Okay. Um, but, but it's at least potentially enough for, uh, to, to spur uh, or to initiate a conversation Definitely. with your healthcare provider. I say, so say 28 or 29, I think maybe you're probably right on the cusp, but again, just because uh, you scored a little bit higher does not necessarily equate to an exercise addiction. But let me ask you this, Katie,
2: yeah. um,
0: uh, the 2008 version of, of, of Katie, the Katie Mazlin mm.
2: 2008
0: version of Katie. Uh, how do you suppose that version of Katie would have scored on this test? It's the same or different, different. Okay. Higher. She would have scored higher. Do you, you think she would have scored close to closer to a thirty six? Six yeah. out of six on most of these.
1: Yeah, I've taken it down a couple notches at least. Yeah, yeah okay. cool. for sure.
0: Okay. Um, well, in fact, you know, when 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 you you know when when you eventually had the the conversation with with these with these clinicians, uh, not only were you diagnosed with a with it with an eating disorder, um, anorexia with bulimic tendencies, but as you said, you were also at that time diagnosed with uh, with, with an exercise addiction. Let's talk about. Let's talk about what what that means. So, um, first of all, the the relationship between uh, exercise addiction and co-occurring co-occurring disorders. Um, research has shown that that approximately forty five percent of people with eating disorders also suffer from exercise addiction. Um, you spent uh, a considerable amount of time in an exercise disorder recovery program, an outpatient program. Uh, in which um, there were group settings uh, in which I, I suspect people would share their their stories. Now obviously without without mentioning names, but uh, your 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 reflection about those conversations, um, in the groups that you were in, do you think about forty percent of the of the people in those groups, do you think they also had an exercise addiction as well? or do you feel like you were like, you were rare in that instance. I
1: actually feel like I was rare.
0: Okay. What, what, yeah. Why? So why, why do you think, why do you think that was in this particular outpatient, uh, eating disorder clinic?
1: I don't know, but there was only one other person in this group, like this bigger group of people that did anything exercise related. They would purge in different ways. Um, which is so interesting to me, Uh, but. Do you think they, do do you think,
0: do you think that, do you think that they just hit it well, or uh, uh, how do you make that determination? Just by looking at someone or, or listening to to, to people? How do you know that, how do you
1: know that? A lot of people that were there were ready and they were open to sharing. And I did not talk in any of these group therapies. I just did not want any part of it. So from what was shared, uh, there was only one other person that was and anything like my story. Um, yeah. So I actually, in the second time that I went, I was the only one.
0: Okay. Well, you... But you would agree that you were likely the exception there, not the rule, because be, because um, uh, exercise addictions are relatively common in in people with eating yeah. disorders. You would agree with that.
1: Yeah, I would agree yeah.
0: with that. Uh, I mean, for for many of the same reasons, right? For many of the even same
1: reasons. Even if it doesn't come at the same time, I feel like at some point you're going to hit it.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so, and, 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 exercise addiction, you know, is, is oftentimes categorized as, as, as primary and secondary, you know, primary Mm -hmm. exercise addiction typically occurs in the absence of an eating disorder. Mm. Uh, people have a, a a disordered relationship with exercise. We're, We're actually, we'll, we'll talk about the different phases of exercise addiction in just a moment. Whereas a secondary, uh, exercise addiction, which is, I think what, what, what you were dealing with a second secondary exercise addiction is oftentimes in which this disordered relationship with exercise is paired with a co-occurring eating disorder. Now of course the challenge is as you as you well as you as you know all too well is that um, the challenge is that typically only one of those problems is identified and treated. And right. it, I mean it makes all the sense in the world that the right. eating disorder would take priority and precedent um, or 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 or, or or preferential uh, 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 focus, um, because presumably of those two things—an eating disorder and an exercise addiction—the eating disorder um, might result in your imminent demise uh, much quicker than a, an exercise addiction. Right. Um, do, do you do you feel like that was the case for you, Katie? That it, it, that initially uh, it was the, the the eating disorder that was identified and treated. Um, yes, and and the the exercise addiction was was either not addressed or it wasn't identified altogether.
1: Yes. Um, and I think that's why I could hold on to the exercise portion so much longer. Like it was so much easier to skate by on that. And I mean, I feel like you have seen the best and the worst of me. So you have seen me, even if you didn't realize it at the time, um, I think we did a relay race and I like crapped out. I needed a gel for like a two mile leg, which was obscene. Um, Yeah. That, that was the eating disorder part. Um, I think we went on a run with Matt Russo, maybe, and I had an arrhythmia happen. That was the eating disorder part. I also, I think, didn't eat anything for a couple of days really before that. So even training for certain events, I just didn't have like the off that I needed because my nutrition was not on to get through I wanted to train for a marathon and I had to not do that. Like I would get injured, I would get overtrained. So I think that, I mean, definitely the nutrition part is always dealt with first and it, I don't know that it really should be because it just leads on into that exercise portion. But because exercise is considered such a healthy thing, you know, you can skate by on that and nobody's going to notice the same way.
0: Yeah. Right. So you were, you were exercising to excess under the guise of exercising for health. Right. And, and people saw your, many people likely saw your commitment to exercise as being, as being a positive thing. Yeah. Look how, uh, look how committed she is, look how dedicated she is. Um, uh, when, when in fact, your relationship with exercise was just as disordered as your relationship with food. Um, Yes. And and, uh, of course, you know, we we all need to eat. uh, And, uh, you know, so that, I mean, that that food is something we all have to wrestle with and and deal with and make choices about every day. But oftentimes we don't, we don't typically look at other people's relationships with relationship with food as being healthy or unhealthy. uh, Because we don't, I mean, food is just, I mean, it's, it's it's ubiquitous. It's something, it's something we all have to deal with. That's not the case with exercise. We, we choose to exercise. Yes. Um, we don't necessarily choose to eat or not eat. Everybody, everybody has to eat, but not everybody has to exercise. And so I think that, I think it's a little bit easier as you, as you described it to sort of skate by and to, and to hide this disordered relationship. Um, before we talk about the different phases of, of, of exercise addiction and, and sort of where, where those blurry lines are between someone who is dedicated and committed to exercise and someone who is exercising to excess. What did exercise look like for you, Katie, during that period of time in which, which would have been otherwise described as a disordered relationship with exercise or an exercise addiction. What, 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 what did, what did that look like for you? Uh, how much exercise were you doing? What, uh, what, what was your relationship with exercise like?
1: So, what I, what it looked like initially is I started running and then I started running and lifting. Then I started doing doubles. So that just means like you do two gym sessions. Then the double sessions started extending periods of time and I would start spending just long periods of time in the gym. And then what that turned into was I would train, I would find something to train for because it would give me an end goal, but it would also allow me to, running wise, it would also allow me to run for long periods of time and spend long periods of time exercising. So I could go and run for Three hours and just say that I was training. And people are like, oh, she's just training for a marathon or half marathon or whatever. And like I said, you just skate by on that and no, people don't think as much. And you would get up at like obscene hours to be able to squeeze it in before work or before, like, I think before I went to go uh, get my wedding dress, I got up and ran for three hours. So before I went and tried wedding dresses on and two weeks before my wedding, I ran a half marathon and I remember us having the conversation about it where you were like, I don't know if that's a great idea. And I was like, "Ah, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And I did it. And I mean, nobody said anything about it, but I'm sure you were probably wheels were turning. (laughs)
0: Well, I do remember I do remember having eventually having a conversation about it with you because you, um, you know, as a result of my my inquiries, you would eventually open up about that. And uh, that certainly changed the the dynamic of our conversations around exercise. Because what you weren't telling me before was really important information for me to have as you were as you were asking my advice about training. Yes. Um, Little did I know, because even at that time, you were still hiding it really well.
2: Mm. uh,
0: Little did I know that your relationship with exercise was was certainly much less than what would be considered healthy. I want to circle back to that to that quiz for just a moment and uh and and talk about the importance of of, of each of those those different statements the first being exercise is the most important thing in my life Um, you know that gets to this concept of salience Yes. um uh uh you, you know how this behavior fits into the context of the rest of your life and how you how you see it prioritized in your life um Katie, if, you know, if, if now, well, the 2000 and 2008 version of Katie was exercise the most important thing in in her life in 2008?
1: Uh, Or
0: was it close? Was it a five or
2: six?
1: Definitely. But I think it was, I don't know that I would even see it that way then. I think I would see it more about control. I wouldn't even see that it was exercise. I would still not being, not realizing, I wouldn't even realize that exercise was a part of it.
0: But if the 2013 version of Katie, the Katie Doyle of 2000 and 2023, the 2023 Katie, if she were to have answered for the 2008 version of Katie, your current version, your current self would have said, yes, my 2008 self would have said exercise, is the most important thing in my life, or it was a, or at least it was a five out of six. Would you say that's fair? Yeah.
1: I'll yeah.
0: That's
1: fair. Um, my number now is a three.
0: Well, that's what I, well, that that's where I was going. So yeah. uh, exercise well, now exercise is not the most important thing in your life. So what is the most important thing in your
1: life? My children. Yeah, right.
0: Um, of course, because, because you're, because you're a mom. You know that the, the 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 second statement conflicts have arisen between me and my family and or my partner about the amount of exercise I do when I originally asked you that or I initially mentioned that statement you you started to chuckle a little bit yeah um, you know the, the this idea of conflicts gets to the concept of conflict right yeah and, and again we're, we we frame these statements um, in the larger context of addiction yes Right, and salience is is one important component of addiction, and so is conflict. Um, you know, the the behavior does it cause conflict in interpersonal relationships? Um, in two thousand and eight, did it did exercise create conflicts between between yourself and your family or the the other important people in your life?
1: Um, I would not say. Well, yeah, because I got kicked out of school.
2: Yeah.
1: So I would say in that instance, but in my friend group and otherwise, I think because of where I was at in my life, I didn't have the same ties to people that I do now. It wasn't as big of a thing for people to notice.
0: Well, you're not, you're not suggesting that you didn't have close relationships back then.
1: Uh, My relationships were very, I would just categorize them differently.
0: Okay. So they, all right. So they're, Perhaps your, your, your close personal relationships weren't as close because you maybe, you didn't let people in your inner circle. Exactly. Okay.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: but of course now, uh, you have close interpersonal relationships, your husband, um mm-hmm. i suspect is 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 probably <laughs> in, in the innermost of your inner circles yes um would would you say that you have that you have closer personal relationships with friends now than you did back in 2008
1: 2009 yes i keep my circle small okay um and i'm a very private person normally so this is very out of character for me yeah. to even do this but uh-huh. i uh I don't, yeah, I keep it small and I don't, I only share all the things with a very few. Yeah.
0: there. But those very, those, that, that, that small inner circle though is an intimate small inner circle.
1: Yes. And that's, they are so important to me. Okay.
0: Right. Um, today, uh, do you, like, how did you answer that, that statement today? Do you you still have conflicts about the amount of exercise? Yes,
1: I do. Um, I got a five. And I'm okay. gonna tell you what it is. Why? Yeah, please. No, please. Yeah, please. Um, Ryan and I have.
0: Ryan this... is your husband.
1: Ryan is my husband. Ryan. Husband.
0: Nord. Husband. Ryan.
1: Husband. Ryan. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, we have had conflicts, um, in the past, uh, maybe even this year, about how I squeeze exercise in. How I squeeze it in, because I. I, this is another question that you asked. I don't miss, even now I don't miss. It just, my workout might look different, but I will get up really early in the morning before I have um, IEP meetings or meetings for the kids, because my girls are both autistic. Um, I squeeze it in any way that I can, because it just helps me, this is another question, helps me to focus it gives me a little bit of time to myself. Um, so he works from home now and I think it has been challenging for him where say in the summertime, he's trying to have a conference call and the girls are, you know, buck wild and I'm down in the basement working out. I will always happily take them down there with me, even though it's a little crazy. My workout might look a little different because they're riding bikes around down there while I'm trying to lift, but you just, I gotta make it work for me.
0: And would you categorize now, would you categorize that aspect of your relationship with exercise? Would you categorize it? Would you categorize that? as healthy or, or unhealthy?
1: Um, tough I, question, right? That is a really tough question. That is a very tough question. All right, well, let's because, leave it. Well,
0: well, yeah. can you, I mean, can you answer it or is it, or do you think it's that's just too difficult of a question to answer?
1: I feel like right now for me, you know what? I don't know if I can answer yeah, that. Yeah,
0: it's, it's a hard question to answer. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let, 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 let's move on to let's move on to the third statement that I use exercise as a way of changing my mood. Yes. Um, you know, that's that that gets to this concept of, of addiction known as mood modification uh, in which we we use a behavior to, to modify mood. Um, how would the how would the 2008 version of of Katie, uh, how would she have answered that?
1: It would be higher than a six.
0: Okay, for sure. Okay. And um what what about the what about today's version of Katie? How did today's version of Katie answer that?
1: It's a 6 now. Okay. But I would say that it's a 6 because I use it for stress management. If I need a little hit of dopamine before I go into a big meeting for the girls because where both of my girls are autistic, it's that's really challenging sometimes <laughs> um, because they're considered high functioning. It's also challenging to get them services that they need uh, because it doesn't look like they need those things because they do a lot of what's called masking, just meaning they mimic a lot of behaviors of their neurotypical peers. So, <laughs> they really do need services and things. And I kind of like have to gear myself up. So, and I have to gear myself up to be, to parent them because sometimes it's really, really hard.
0: So, so if, how do you suspect other people do that if they don't use exercise? And if you didn't have exercise, how do you suppose that you would get that same bump or boost or rush. Oh,
1: geez. I don't know. I Bull, honestly. Like,
0: like Red Bull? Like, <laughs>
1: you
0: you're mining Red Bulls? I, I mean, I'm just. <laughs> I, I
1: know a lot of people drink. I don't for reasons. Yeah. Well, interestingly, but...
0: I mean, you know, alcohol sort of has sedative effects. And yes, I
1: really, know. But I mean, like. Is,
0: you're talking about the opposite of that. You're talking about increasing stimulation, increasing. Uh, like, you know, getting things firing, like, like being on it. Right. And and one way to be on it is to, is to, is to have this heightened sense of bodily awareness, um, that exercise provides to you. I don't
1: know that people are always on it the way I am, Chris, let's be real.
0: (laughs) I think keeping it real is important over time. Over time, I have, I've increased the amount of exercise I do in a day. Um, so this, this gets to this, this addiction concept of tolerance, Over time, I've increased the amount of exercise I do. Right, so an addict, you know, oftentimes over time has to has to continue to increase the 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 dosing of the substance in order to get uh, a similar effect from it. Um, 2008 version of Katie, how would she have answered that question about increasing uh, the amount of time? A six Mm. for sure. And the the current version of Katie.
1: I'm like a two or a three.
0: Yeah. So you've, you've sort of steady stated, you've found, uh, yeah. you have found a dose of exercise that, um, um, that you consider to be reasonable, even if maybe Ryan doesn't think it's reasonable, you feel like it's We've reasonable. Found a
1: happy, we found a happy medium. And so it, I will say that, but. Well,
0: and let's face it. Marriage is about compromise. I mean, yes. that's, an, that's an important yes. aspect of, of, of the interpersonal re- relationship that is marriage. Uh, number five, if I if I have to miss an exercise session, I feel moody and irritable. This gets to the uh, the the addiction concept of withdrawal symptoms. Um, I just
1: don't miss.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 the two fair the two thousand and eight <laughs> version uh, of of Katie. How would she have answered that that statement?
1: She also would not miss, but she would be doing more. And I do not do more. Okay. I do not do two a days, three hours in the gym each time. And yeah.
0: That's... Well, well, uh, life happens to to all of us. Yeah. Regular exercises or not, and there are occasions in which maybe if maybe if we don't miss an exercise session, maybe we have to do a just a mini version.
2: Yes. Uh, of absolutely.
0: That, okay? So in the cases then now for you, um, so if I if I if I slightly change the wording of that, and and, and if I change it to If I have to reduce the volume of an exercise session because life happens, I feel moody and irritable.
1: No, I'm good.
0: That doesn't occur to you?
1: No, No. not not anymore. I don't like a one. That's a one for sure.
0: Uh, and then, and then six. Um, if I cut down the amount of exercise I do, and then start again, I always end up exercising as often as I did before. That, of course, is 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 the 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 addiction concept mm. of withdrawal,
2: yeah. um,
0: uh, Or excuse me, of relapse. Um, the two thousand and eight version of of Katie, because yes. you know, in fact, that happened to you. You had to go to outpatient therapy, mm-hmm. and they forced you. I mean, as you said, they they made you take the elevator and and avoid the stairs. Um, So you were forced to significantly reduce your your exercise when given the opportunity, Katie, to return to your exercise program. The 2008, 2009 version of Katie, did you go right back to doing what
1: you were doing? Absolutely. All right. So that would have been a six out of six. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, Maybe this maybe this. Well, the question isn't necessarily difficult to answer. Well, maybe it's a little difficult to answer. How how did the 2023 version of Katie answer that? You don't know because you don't miss.
1: I don't miss. But (laughs) here's the thing. If, say, I were to get injured, okay, and I come back to it, I mean, if we're going to word it like that, yeah, yeah, I would ease into it, and that would not stress me out at all. If I had to do, like, 10 minutes on – the treadmill or even just change what I was doing. That would be good.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I think, I think a, another good uh, example of that would be, you know, going on vacation, you know, I, I, Karen and I, my wife, Karen and I went on a European vacation earlier this summer and uh, I, I was completely out of my exercise routine, Yes,
1: um,
0: but we walked every day, we
1: walked everywhere. So it's we walked different.
0: everywhere. And, um, and, but when I got back home, I got back into my routine and uh, I didn't see that as a negative thing. I actually feel like, you know, at this point in my relationship with exercise, I can take a week in which my exercise pattern becomes quite disrupted. Yes. Going on a European vacation, a not feel anxiety about it, not feel guilty about it. Right. Um, But also b upon return. I'm able to just get back to doing what I'm, what I was doing. I don't see that as a negative thing. I actually see that as a positive thing, because as you know, oftentimes, oftentimes for many people who haven't habituated exercise, missing a week can be a really significant thing. And missing a week can be enough for people to completely fall out of touch and contact with exercise.
1: Listen, if I'm going to Europe, like I'm going to be good (laughs) if I'm not lifting. like,
0: But but. But that perspective is that that perspective has taken some time and some growth
1: for for you to get to that point. For sure. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, let's 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 finish here. Let's talk about let's talk about, you know, the sort of the the gray areas that that is um, the reality that uh, there are many regular habitual exercisers like you and I, Mm. um, who many people from the outside looking in at what we do might characterize our exercise behaviors being addictive. Yes. But there's a fine line, right? Between yeah. being committed and being addicted. And let's, let's also make sure that, that we put it in this context that you know less than two out of 10 American adults get enough regular daily exercise. So the vast majority of people do not get enough regular exercise. So it's that majority... Mm. that looks at the minority very much as being outsiders. Right. And even within that 20%, there's a, there's a much smaller percent. And, 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 you know, that, that number is anywhere from three to 5% of regular exercisers actually have crossed that red line mm. and have gone from being committed to being addicted. Mm. and right? So I think that's the other important thing that, that, that we state that not everyone who is committed to exercise is addicted to exercise. There's a, right. there's a distinction. And again, in fact, only a very small percentage of regular exercises are actually clinically, have a clinical addiction to exercise. You know, it may be three to 5%. Well, let's talk about it. because there, there are some gray areas here. In fact, um, researchers have, have categorized four different phases of exercise let's talk about them katie because mm-hmm. um because that, i think here is the important distinction if someone is you know if someone's self-scored uh you know and they they scored a, a 29 yeah. right? i mean does that automatically mean that they're addicted to exercise maybe not necessarily okay so let's let's work through it so phase one phase one is is, is what is described as recreational exercise okay so sure. in, in, in recreational exercise primarily occurs because it's um, it's a pleasurable and/or rewarding activity. I mean, I would argue that exercise isn't necessarily always pleasurable, right. um, but it, but it is always rewarding. Okay. Yeah. Um. And 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 and, and you know this um th- this this pleasure is is associated with uh, oftentimes with this this enhanced sense of quality of life. And as we'll, as we'll eventually talk about, um, exercise addiction actually doesn't add to quality of life. It can begin to subtract from it substantially. So, um, so that's the, that's the first phase is that, um, the, you know, the behavior is under control, the, the, the individual sticks to their schedule, um, and is able to stop when planned.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, with, with recreational exercise, the, the, the negative consequences are rare. Uh, they're oftentimes unexpected and they're, and they're usually the direct outcome of the exercise itself. Mm. Uh, you know, we develop, uh, overuse injuries. No, <laughs> no, that's not necessarily a, that, that doesn't, that not always necessarily associated with addiction. I mean,
2: right. regular
0: recreational exercises can develop overuse injuries. Um, uh, and importantly, you know, when it's, when it's time to, to cut back <clears throat> that you're able to cut back Yes. when it's, you know, when it's necessary to take a non-exercise day uh, because of travel or, or, or some other family commitment, then you you take a, a non-active day or a, or a, or a minimally re- or a significantly yeah. reduced active day. All right. So that's phase one. Those are recreational exercisers. And the majority of exercisers, I would suspect, are in that are in that phase, or would be categorized that way. Phase two is what is described as as at risk exercise. Now, the if the recreational level provides the opportunity to discover whether the behavior is intrinsically rewarding, um, then 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 here's where the the, the risk lies that um, that. Recreational exercise oftentimes exposes people to the potentially mood altering effects of the behavior. Um, yeah. and in fact, you know I, I would contend that that it's not potentially i would i would I would contend that most people who are recreational exercisers um, uh, are afforded the opportunity to experience those mood altering properties of exercise. Yeah, uh, exercise makes you feel good definitely. Uh, it enhances, um, it enhances uh, self-worth yes. and self-esteem. Yes. And I don't see those as being negative things. No. Exercise, of course, as you and I know uh, from our, 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 background in exercise, our educational background in exercise, exercise has, has real chemical effects on the brain. Positive yes. chemical effects yes. on the brain, right? Um, but, 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 but you know, there are, there are situations in which the, you know, the, the, the mood altering effects uh, of exercise can lead people to begin to make inappropriate decisions about exercise. Yes. Um, you know, to <clears throat> maybe to continue to be engaged in the behavior when, when it, when it's inappropriate to do so. Yes. Um, you know, when, when, when an overuse injury requires some, you know, some, some downtime, um, the, the individual who is, who is engaging in at-risk exercise behavior, um, ends up engaging in the activity, even when, you know, that little birdie on their shoulders, whispering in their ear, you know, you, maybe you need to take a little chill out. You maybe need to chill out a little bit. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that? You remember that phase?
1: Oh, I do very well. Mm. Actually. Um, I mean, you probably, I sure you do. I remember I was so injured and I continued running that I was, we were doing I don't remember what time of day it was, but I remember standing at the back of the cardiopulmonary gym up against the wall and I just like slid slowly down the wall and I couldn't get up. And then I, you're like, what is going on? So we, I kind of went through all these things where I went to physical therapy and I found a chiropractor and it was just like a slew of things. But really the one thing that would have been kind of a cure-all here was to just chill out.
0: Um, yeah. And, and again, you know, the, these things happen on a continuum, right? So, yeah, um, you know, so as, as people to engage, people continue to engage in, in, in this at-risk exercise behavior, that is, you know, you know, making less than healthy and positive choices related yes. to exercise. Um, what, what ends up happening is, is that they begin to experience these periodic periods of loss of control, these, these these periodic episodes of loss of control and these periodic episodes of loss of control end up, end up systematically becoming longer and longer periods of, of, of loss of control as it relates to the exercise behavior. Yes. As those, as those periods of time in which they are experiencing loss of control, loss control over their ability to make healthy decisions about exercise. Yes. Um, they can they can set themselves up to tip over into in, into phase three, which is what is described as problematic exercise. Now, in this yeah. case, you know, where where regular exercisers um, integrate daily physical activity into their lives fairly seamlessly. Those uh, um, those who, you know, who, who, who exercise is becoming problematic will begin to organize their day around their exercise regimen. Uh, which is becoming more and more rigid. Now, yes. this is this ends up being a characteristic of what would be described as problematic exercise. Now, another distinguishing feature uh, of exercise at the problematic level uh, is the nature of negative consequences. Right, where 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 previous, previously these adverse effects arose directly from the behavior. Hmm. At the problematic level, uh, secondary negative consequences are predominant. Secondary negative consequences include things like um you know, your, your own or another's response to the adverse effects of exercise. So now not only is it is it is it you responding negatively to the adverse effects of exercise. In right, other words, right. you know, I'm I'm constantly injured because yeah. I am chronically yeah. overdoing it. Yes. Um now it's not just you. But it's but it, other people now are beginning to 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 feel the adverse effects because yes. of course what happens is when you at the problematic level are not able to exercise
2: You're up, a bear. To what,
0: up to what you consider to be your standard, yes, yeah, you become a bear, which which in this case means you become you become kind of unbearable. Yes, <laughs> and and not easy to live with, not easy to deal with. Not yep. easy to interact with. So all yeah. of a sudden now, this is not just your problem.
1: You're bleeding on other people.
0: You're becoming a problem yeah. for other people, right? This is the the problematic, uh, the problematic level. Um, you know that. Again, w- once once in the problematic phase, this be- this behavior it, it continues. Uh, despite despite us meeting what our stated goal is, right? And, and in this case, originally the stated goal was at least the outward goal is i exercise for health yeah. and or i exercise yeah. because i'm training for xyz X, Z. right but it but it continues beyond that right so much like much like someone who has a a, a problem with alcohol who continues to drink even after the desired you know stress relief from mm. alcohol uh, occurs in this case at the problematic level we continue to exercise even though the the behavior is not only ends up being counterproductive for us, but it becomes destructive potentially for yes. our relationships. Did that? Yes. Th- do you remember that period of time for you, Katie, distinctively when exercise sort of was was in that that problematic phase?
1: I do. I yes. Um, and it wasn't necessarily. Ryan is, I would say, husband. Ryan is fairly easygoing about my fitness stuff. Um, but I do remember my mother-in-law uh, saying something a few, uh, quite a few times about it. Um, and I mean, looking back now, she wasn't wrong. She, I, she, I don't even think she was my mother-in-law at the, at the time, but she wasn't wrong. So I would say at that point, so right before I got married, is when it kind of was at its peak. And then once we did get married and I realized, you know, I'm going to have a family, I just had to change what I was doing. It really changed huge after I had Olivia. I think postpartum was really challenging for me. And six months after I had Olivia, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it right. And it just looks so different. I'm not out at all hours of the morning and night running miles in the dark. And it just looks so different. I'm I'm not missing family things. I work around family things. Um, and like you said, it's just an abbreviated exercise session. And it might look different what I'm doing. Um, but I just need to set up better example for my children and be available for the people in my life.
0: Yeah. And yeah. And so your perspective, uh, on this, this, this phase of exercise, the problematic phase, I think is, it's interesting and important because the problematic phase prefaces exercise addiction, which is phase four. Mm. You know, and and in, and in phase four, this, this exercise addiction, you know, the, as you know all too well, the frequency and intensity of exercise continues until the behavior becomes life's main organizing principle. Mm. Everything in your life is built around yes. exercise. Exercise becomes the center of your universe with everything else rotating around yeah. it your family, your friends, your, your work obligations, or your, or your, or yes. your parenting obligations, um, you know, and, and, and consistent with the paradoxical nature of, of addiction, you know, the, the behavior that, that initially began as a way to make life more bearable, yeah. um, you know, by, by facilitating coping mechanisms, the behavior ultimately makes life completely unmanageable. Un- Absolutely. Right. And as, as the life of an addicted person revolves around exercise, the pleasure of the behavior be, be, you know, begins to diminish as the primary motivator mm. uh, and, 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 and becomes really the, the, the principal motivating uh, factor becomes the avoidance of withdrawal symptoms. So no longer yeah. are you exercising because you are seeking some pleasurable reward you exercise to avoid the negative consequences of withdrawal. And I think this ends up, ends up becoming a really important sort of demarcation and how, right. And how we begin to understand our exercise behavior and whether or not it has tipped over and, and has crossed that really red line, that, that, that very distinct and defined red line. Um, So does that resonate with you as as you absolutely. reflect back upon, you know, how you how you went from phase three, that problematic exercise behavior to full blown exercise addiction?
1: Oh, absolutely. But I like I said, I really think that having Olivia changed all of that for me, because I think even before I had her, I was kind of in it still. I was still in the weeds. Like I, and I didn't even realize it. So at least the exercise portion, the food portion I had, I was, I was like, all right, I, I got this under control. Like I'm going to have a baby. And then, <laughs> and then I had Olivia and I was just so, I, I definitely had postpartum depression, but it that was undiagnosed. And yeah, I just kind of one day woke up and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I need to get back to something I love, but I need to do it in a way that's going to set a good example. That's going to be manageable where I feel successful and it's not something I dread.
0: So when we, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about addictions, um, you know, of course, drug addiction is a, that's a, it's a common, Mm. common, you know form of addiction that we talk about alcohol addiction i mean alcoholism yes. is, a, yes. is a is a is an addiction and i i think we would both agree that 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 exercise now is also and exercise addiction is also recognized mm-hmm. as a real phenomena but unlike 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 alcohol addiction and and alcohol treatment you know you you can't you can't be a problematic drinker and successfully deal with your alcoholism in the treatment of in the treatment of alcohol addiction and alcoholism Mm -hmm. you must abstain from alcohol yes right like you,
1: you that's what i do i don't i don't drink at all but 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 you can't do that with exercise the same well, way. Well that,
0: that that's this sort of what that's kind of what I'm getting at and I, and I think this is an important distinction here because you know as 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 we talk about exercise addiction, you know that of course the, the the natural progression of the conversation is toward treatment. Yeah. You know, and and how do we how do we treat and how do we manage the yeah. addiction? And again, I th- I think I think the the most common the most common form of addiction that that we hear about and we talk about uh, is alcoholism and and in and in my conversations with uh with 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 recovering alcoholics you know it it has to be an all or none it has to be yeah. black and white you absolutely you, you can't just you can't you can't you can't be you can't go from being an alcohol uh, an alcoholic to just being a problematic drinker and and, and actually have the, yeah. the disease under control it has to be black and white but that isn't the case with exercise okay no. that 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 the reasonable treatment for exercise addiction is not abstinence. No. Which which I think, which I think in, in some instances, instances makes it even more difficult to deal with because, and and that's not to suggest that, 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 that treating alcoholism and, 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 and recovering from alcoholism is easy in any way, shape or form. It's not. It's, It's incredibly challenging. But there is some comfort and solace and understanding that there are black and whites,
2: that, Absolutely. that, there's,
0: that it's all or none. Yeah. And you can wrap your head around just not doing it again. Now, as anyone as anyone who is a recovering alcoholic will tell you that there they you, you, you never stop being an alcoholic, that you have to work at it every single day. Right. The, the, the one day at a time. Yeah. Philosophy when it comes to re- recovering alcoholics. With exercise addiction, it's gray.
1: It's so gray.
0: So if if, if you know uh, if if you were to reflect upon those four phases: recreational exercise, at risk exercise, problematic exercise, and then exercise addiction, if you clearly were at the level of exercise addiction at one point, Katie and I, 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 I don't think there's any question that that you were. I mean, mm-hmm. you were clinically diagnosed with that. Yeah. I think by your own admission. You would have self-diagnosed yourself with an exercise yes. addiction.
2: Yes.
0: Um where do you think that you've where do you think that you've landed? Honestly. What phase? Now? Yeah, now.
1: Hmm.
0: Honestly. Because I'm gonna give you my honest.
1: Let's clinical. hear your honest first. I'm gonna give you my And then I can okay. I'm gonna counter you.
0: All right. Well, I, well, I tell you what. What well, yeah. do this for me? You you have you have a pen or pencil there, right? Right. Yeah, let's do phone. this. All right, on your phone. Write <laughs> write down the phase that you think you're in. Don't tell okay. me, just write it down. All right, all right. Okay. All right. And I'm going to write down the phase that I think you're in. Okay. Well, this this really won't work much, well for a podcast, but we'll 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 let the we'll yeah. share with the audience what we just what we will just share with each other. Okay.
1: Remind so us I, of the phases again, very quickly. Just yeah.
0: phase one recreational exerciser. Okay. okay. Uh, someone who is engaged in the behavior because of because of the because of of the, the desire uh, for health and wellness and or fitness. Yes. Uh, the individual right who is at risk, uh, who is who is engaging at at risk exercise. That is, um, they are beginning to experience some of the negative consequences of exercise, and yet um, they are still engaging in the behavior. Uh, Even when, even, and and really at this point, it's only affecting them. Okay. Okay. The problematic exerciser sort of takes the, the, the at-risk exercise behavior to another level. And that is um, uh, not only uh, are they still engaging in the behavior, even when they are experiencing negative consequences, their choices now um, are affecting other people. Uh, Their behavioral choices around exercise are negatively affecting other people. That is the problematic exerciser. Uh, Then, of course, exercise addiction and, and, and all of the negative consequences associated as we shift our focus away from the positive outcomes of exercise to really more of the avoidance of the negative consequences of exercise, in which now exercise becomes literally the center of our universe. Everything else revolves around it. Okay. I'm gonna hold up the phase that I think you're in, and can you see that?
1: Are you kidding me, that dude? Says,
0: that says phase phase three, the problematic, the problematic exerciser.
1: <laughs> this is my phase. Wait, can you see my
0: phase one? All right, so Kate- <laughs> Katie says phase one, the, the the recreational exerciser. I have self-diagnosed her in a very unclinical way. <laughs> As a as a problematic exercise, like Katie, let me ask that's so that's it's interesting. Um no, it's, let me, yeah, let me let me ask you this follow-up question. Uh husband Ryan.
1: Mm. Hmm. You uh, already go get him.
0: Yeah, nope. <laughs> um, but but husband Ryan puts on his white coat and uh brings you into his office. Uh and husband Ryan gives you his clinical uh diagnosis of your current phase of exercise behavior. How do you think uh husband Ryan would uh uh, would diagnose your exercise behavior. What phase? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're laughing because you know, you know, as in, as in times before, you know, you know, husband Ryan and I are on the same wavelength here. Listen, but I weird. do what I want. <laughs> I know you do what you want. I know that. How do you, how do you think husband Ryan would, would answer that question?
1: I don't think that he would say one.
0: <laughs> uh, but he, And he also would not say four, correct? No, no.
1: Okay, all right.
0: Um, so somewhere between a two and a three. Fair to say? Yeah, let's, Maybe yeah, a two let's and a half? Maybe a two and a half?
2: Okay, I
0: mean. Oh, you tell me. Do you, you, th- you think he'd say closer to a three or closer to a two? A two and a half. Yeah, okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> interesting. Um, but, but, and I think, and I think here's the, here's the point, Katie, that, you know, that those initial three, those initial three phases, mm. right. The recreational exerciser, the at-risk exerciser and the problematic exerciser. Um, <clears throat> I think it's entirely appropriate to be in phase three, even if, even if you're still in denial about being in phase three, I think, I think it's, I'm
1: always going to be at risk, Chris.
0: That's kind of what I'm getting at that, yeah. that, that, much like much like being an alcoholic, I don't think you ever stop being an, alco- an alcoholic just right. because you've stopped drinking. I think it's very much the same way with exercise that yeah. um, that you never that you never stop being addicted to exercise, but that you have learned coping mechanisms and you've learned to build a healthier relationship with the behavior, yes. so that um, so that the addiction. Is much less likely to express itself, and to and to result in negative and unintended, or sometimes intended, consequences. Do, do you believe that? Do you believe that to be the case?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. <clears throat> um,
0: well, <laughs> um, okay. let let's 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 finish with this. Um, so, tell us a little bit more about. What your what your current exercise behavior looks like, looks just like, sort of from a nuts and bolts standpoint, right. um, not not so much the you know the the, the connection to, to to life and family, but um, but but more so, what does your current exercise routine look like for a a busy mom of two of two little ones? Um, yes. What 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 does that currently look like for you?
1: So I exercise six days a week. And I, I'm almost ashamed to say that right now. Um, I lift three days out of the week and those are between 45 minute to an hour sessions. If it needs to be a half hour, I switch it and that is okay. I run two days a week. Those are usually speed workouts. Uh, because that's how I can get the most bang for my buck. And then on Saturdays, so that, uh, six day is a low intensity, steady state workout, which is just like briskly walking on the treadmill for usually I do 45 minutes. Um, so my workouts are, I try to keep them under an hour and it's six days a week. It's always at the same time, but the reason that it's at the same time is because my kids used to nap around 12, 10. That's very specific, I realize. And they no longer nap because Olivia is now in first grade and Ellie is in pre-K in public school now. Uh, but the time just didn't change because that's what seemed to work for our family. And now that they're not here during the day, I guess it doesn't matter. But I, I've had food kind of, enough time before I can work out. I usually eat lunch at a specific time. um, And then I give myself about an hour and then I go and work out. So that's what that looks like.
0: And um, this has been your exercise approach uh, since your daughters uh, came into the picture
1: for seven years. Roughly. Right. Yes. I, I even when I was pregnant with Ellie, so like all the way through,
0: um, and you know, as, as you and I both know, right in, in the early years, kids, kids develop and, and, and go through different, different phases pretty quickly, pretty rapidly. Yeah. Uh, it does a, a lot of change, right? From, yes. from infants to, to toddlers, from you know, from toddlers to, 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 little kids, and they become more independent. And, uh, you know, and with that, with that increased independence also comes a little bit more complexity because they're moving around oh, yes. and getting themselves things to eat and getting themselves mm, uh, into the trouble, things. into trouble and chaos. Um, as, as, as you, as you look forward um, and, and, and see your, your, your daughters grow and develop and go through these different phases Uh, I mean, you know, because you have friends that have kids and people, you know, people that have older, older kids as well, you know, that, that things change uh, Mm. and and your, and your, your parenting specific obligations and responsibilities change. Um, How do you see those changes, those developmental changes in your kids potentially impacting your, your own exercise behavior? In other words, do you you see a time potentially in the future in which, you know, your, your daughters are, are grown and independent and driving around and doing their own thing. And, and, uh, you know, the, the, the mom shuttle, you know, ceases to become a, a, a thing and, and you have more time for yourself to do these things. Um, do, do you see your, your exercise behavior potentially changing? Do you look forward to that? Or, or are you really comfortable with, with the routine that you've set now as a way to manage your, your relationship with exercise.
1: So that is two things. I like the routine I've set for myself now. Cause it keeps me in check. And the second part of that is I try not to think too far in front of me anymore. It's kind of like we have always talked about you get through the mile that you're in. And that's really how I live my life right now, especially with my girls, because things are ever-changing. Even now, things change, so I'll throw them in the jogging stroller, and if Olivia doesn't want to come because she's heavier than Ellie, I put, like, a 30-pound weight in the other side of the roll of the stroller, just so it's not, like, lopsided. (laughs) Um, That's not out of a need to burn calories or for whatever reason, it's just because it's very lopsided if you don't, because <laughs> Ellie would blow away in a strong wind. Um, it's I adapt with them, but also I'm very comfortable in what I'm doing right now. Cause it's a way to keep me in check. Finally. Yes.
0: Tell us a little bit about, um, what your relationship with exercise is like now. You've you've given us the the nuts and bolts of yeah. what you of what you do. But finish with talking about your relationship with exercise
1: now. Um exercise is not something that I use to punish myself something that I use to burn calories. I use it as something just to make me feel good and give me a little boost, makes me happy. And I think it's a great example to set for the girls. Um, They know that mama goes and works out at a certain time. And uh, Ellie usually because I work out in the basement, Ellie usually says goodbye to me at the top of our basement stairs. And we have like this whole routine um, that I'm kind of missing now that she's at school. But um, I just think it's a good example to set for them. And I don't want to set an example that we're using it to punish ourselves in any way. Uh, I make it a point that we don't talk about bodies, uh, no food is bad food. Like it's, I'm a little hyper aware of those things. Uh, but exercise wise, I use it to make myself feel good and not as a form of punishment. And also to just set a really good example for the kids.
0: Um, yeah, I, I, your, your evolution and transformation respect to both food and exercise is um it's inspiring and your 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 story is is inspiring and as as you and i as you and i spoke about undoubtedly there are other people who are going through what the 2008 version of (sighs) katie went through and and uh you know there weren't podcast at, at that time. And, (laughs) and, uh, I mean, I, I suspect that there was probably a, an overwhelming sense of you were the only person in the world that was going through whatever you were going through. So there was likely a also a sense of isolation very much. And, uh, um, which, which, which undoubtedly accentuated Mm. all of the feels that you were feeling at that time. Yes. Um, and so, you know, for for you to share your story um, is, uh, you know, as I said, it's inspiring. It's also it, it also takes some courage to do that. And I I appreciate you. You, you opening up and, and sharing that. Katie, um, yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing your story and uh, and uh, joining me on the show.
1: I'm happy to. Thanks so much.
0: So in hindsight, I'm going to go ahead and amend my assessment of Katie's current phase. I don't think she's a problematic exerciser, in other words, phase three. But I do think she's almost certainly in phase two, at risk. My reasoning for reconsidering is that although she does organize her day around her exercise routine, frankly, what busy exercising mom doesn't, her exercise behavior doesn't have negative secondary consequences. In other words, it doesn't cause any harm to others. Finally, if you took the exercise addiction inventory and scored 28 or higher, ask a loved one or very close personal friend to score you. Just don't tell them what you scored or what the survey is about ahead of time. If your loved one or very close personal friend also scored you at 28 or higher, it might be worth having an honest conversation with your healthcare provider about problematic exercise and exercise addiction. The truth is, there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half, Walk Double podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my X and Threads account at Chris J. Nunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half, Walk Double so make sure to check it out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.